Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's edition of the Tech London podcast in the studio. Look, before we get into it, I need to say that um, the the kind of organizing idea for this podcast is that it's uh, people have to be in London and be London centric. But today's guest is London centric. She just happened to move, um, and she's one of the people that I know on the planet in real life that knows most about this topic. We're going to broach. So, Jeannie Romero, what are you known for? What would you like to be known for? Oh, that's a really great kickoff question. Um, so the first question, I'm known for community building. Um, but really I want to be known for being a geek that solves wicked problems. But wicked as in evil, evil, you know, slayers or like wicked as in like wicked, wicked. Like big, unsolvable unsolvable problems things that people say can't be solved in our lifetime and probably can't I, I, that's 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 true actually and i'm forever grateful to you and bobby because um about 13 years ago when i was struggling with microsoft 365 on my mobile phone um you said have you heard of google apps and and that transform which is now known as google workplace but um that that has transformed my existence so can you can you say a little bit about connected the connected women origin story because that is huge. It's a really long origin story, so I'll make the short version. Um, so, well, connected women. Our mission is really to empower women through tech. So, how do we get more women participating in tech? How do we get more women using tech? Um, how do we get more women building tech? Um, so that was kind of the the beginning idea around it because I ended up in technology because of Bobby and um, I fell in love with technology because it just allowed me to do so much, you know, so much more than I could have done without it. And so that was, gosh, I don't even want to count how many years back, but at, at least a decade and a half. <laughs> um, and um, the problem that we set out to solve was really that, getting women more involved in tech and not women in tech as such, but more, you know, just regular people that need to use it. So I remember the time when this kicked off, it was social media mania, right? Everyone was like, oh my gosh, we need to be on social media. And nobody really knew how to do it or how to do it properly. So it started with simple things like that, how to how to set up your website, how to have your um, social media presence done properly. And it just kind of evolved. And when I moved to Singapore, um, that's when it was formally launched and it was really focusing on um, executive women, business women, women in startup. But having been brought up here in, or well, I was brought up in the UK, but I come from the Philippines. My mom's Filipino. It suddenly occurred to me that, you know, I was working with a lot of really cool people in Singapore doing some really interesting work with tech companies, but there are a lot of people in the Philippines that would really benefit from leveraging technology to improve their lives and not just to, to get better work-life balance, but to even alleviate their poverty situation, for example, or their, their struggle to earn. 
So we decided to come back to the Philippines and, and focus on those coming from more disadvantaged groups. I, I always describe it as, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that you got back to the Philippines and thought, how come all these women are still flying to San Francisco and London to work in hotels and they could just be here working virtually and be with their families? Is that an accurate representation of your... Uh... Absolutely. Yeah, that was the origin, origin story, right? Because my mom was a domestic worker. So she was actually a domestic worker in the UK back in the 70s. Um, and that's why I was brought up in the UK. And my mom's community of Filipinos in the UK at that time was, was, you know, a lot of women and men who had left their families and their kids behind so that they could earn and send money home because there weren't really opportunities like that here in the Philippines. And, you know, it still happens today, right? It does. And, and then in, in, I've got to get this in because in, in 2019, when I actually like got an idea of, um, what you were doing in the Philippines, I, we hired, um, Venice and Zara, who are still with us today. And Zara produces this podcast. She, she sort of wandered in to do some writing and social media and is now our podcast producer. And, um, and one of the things was I've always, I've just known about outsourcing for years. And like last week we had, um, Noel, who works mainly with, uh, programmers from the mid, from Eastern Europe. Um, and he's based in London. And I've just, I've just known about it, but I've always had this fear of um, accidentally hiring someone who's, you know, not working in uh, good circumstances and is being ripped off. So, you know, the trust of knowing the kind of operation you'll run was, was you know, massive deal there. Um, I've got, so my next question is, um, how did Connected Women, um, what's the word, pivot, if you like, over the, over lockdown? Because that got you to providing the service you now do. Yeah. So this is actually, we pivoted twice. <laughs> so this is actually version three of Connected Women. So the first version was partnering with companies like Google, Microsoft, um, out of Singapore at that point, other tech companies and collaborating to get women using their tools. Right. So that was the first sort of like iteration of Connected Women. But like I said, most of the women were executive women, women entrepreneurs coming from a relatively privileged background. Um, so I came back to the Philippines because my first idea was there's so much talent in the Philippines. There are so many entrepreneurs globally who need talent. I can match, um, you know, women from the Philippines who want to work from home with entrepreneurs all over the world. So the first uh, model was a job matching platform. I still think it's a really cool idea for the record. Um, it's really hard to build a job matching platform that's focused on a very niche um, group like this. And um, we built it. We actually raised some angel funds, about half a million dollars. And we built the platform. We had it in beta and we were, and it was working. So when the pandemic hit, we had just launched the beta. Um, but when I say it was working, it was working in a way. So we had two major challenges that we recognized that were happening when we launched the beta. The first challenge was that we were so overrun with demand, uh, with supply. So, so many job seekers needed jobs and we just couldn't reach enough entrepreneurs to give them, to give them jobs. And the second thing that we noticed is while we have immensely talented, experienced people in our community, we also had a lot of women who didn't have opportunities to get educated, didn't have opportunities to get, um, you know, experience in jobs and were actually couldn't compete. They were at a real disadvantage. And these were the ones that really need the money. 
these were the ones who um, couldn't put food on the table. So I had a bit of a moral dilemma as an as a social entrepreneur who set out to solve a problem where I realized if we carried on on the same route that we wouldn't solve the problem that we set to set up, set out to solve. So um and at the time I was obsessing over companies who were doing something called data annotation. So they were working with uh organizations from disadvantaged areas like Kenya or Africa or or India, or wherever else, and even people from slum areas, and training them in something called data annotation, which allowed them to get a job in the growing, really, really fast-growing artificial intelligence industry. So that piqued my interest. And, and what is the... Because um, this is one of the things I wanted to speak to you about, is, um, I, you know, I use chat GTP to, you know, what should I put in my pasta today to, you know, loads of how should I redesign the future of my business and stuff like that. But, um, what's, it's only recently I've worked, I've, I've, as I've looked more into it is I've realized how chat GTP gets the information in there. So it's, 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 it's annotation, but what, what does that entail and what are the pitfalls? Cause I feel, I feel like this is a, you know, the first world is really benefiting from, the you know global south if you like just feeding it information and we just take it for granted and think it's amazing technology and all star trekky but there's there's a bit of a darker side to it and, and what do we need to look out for as we get excited about chat gtp and things like it yeah so it's a really interesting area um i didn't know anything about AI, although I've always been a bit of a geek. I like my, my tools and my platforms, but, um, I really was interested because when I lo was looking for some, you know, like skills that could be learned by anyone, that was really what I was looking for. I wasn't looking to get into AI. I wasn't looking to get into any particular field. I was just trying to figure out what are the, what are the jobs in tech that anyone can learn to do, even with the most basic connectivity, the most basic skills, the most basic experience, like something that anyone can learn to do. So we wouldn't have to turn people away who had passion and, and talent, right? Or potential at least. Um, and so I came across companies that have pioneered in this space, building out, um, kind of, you know, like BPOs, like, like outsourcing centers or call centers that specialize in training, um, AI tools. That I've got to, my, my my mind's a little bit blown there. Um, so what what how does this affect the? I'm trying to think of an elegant way to say how does this affect the job market, which sounds like a really obvious question. But like how how does that affect? The, the, I think it's most interesting in the balance between you know Western society and the rest of the world. Um, yeah. So basically, I wanted to find a, a skill, a technology skill that is future ready that anyone could learn. Um, and so that's how I kind of came across the data labeling industry because there were some pioneers in this space who were doing really, really good work in providing needed services, like commercially viable needed services to companies that are building AI tools, but were also able to provide jobs to people from disadvantaged groups. And so that was sort of the model that I looked at. And what a lot of people don't realize about AI is to train any kind of AI, any kind of artificial intelligence, you really need to just feed the program with millions and millions and millions of data or data sets. So, for example, to train a self-driving car, you have to feed those self-driving cars with all 
everything that uh, a human would see on the road is called computer vision. So teaching a computer how to see like a human. And you can imagine how complex that is because people, objects, parts of the road, traffic lights, whatever you might see through your human eyes looks different from different angles. So data labeling is basically taking millions of images and tagging it um, with text. Um, putting a box around it and identifying what those objects are and feeding it into machines so they can learn. And you can do the same with text. So text-based AI tools like ChatGPT, uh, at one point, um, were trained on, you know, data sets and the data was tagged to con- contextualize it so they can learn. Um, a lot of models now can actually learn from users. So when we're using tools like ChatGPT now, we're essentially still training those models and it continues to learn. Yeah, that was, um, that there's a bit in, um, full fact by these, uh, I think he's an Austrian or Swedish guy that did all the TED talks, Hans Rosling, I think his name is. And he points out that, you know, the difference between, uh, I'm going to mess it up here, but like, you know, for me to double my pay would be like amazing. And for someone else doubling their pay in, I mean, not, Maybe not in the Philippines, but, um, or maybe it is in the Philippines, you know, is it get, getting a dollar more a day is the difference between their child going to school or not. And it's, it's, you know, you have to, I'm really glad you said that because you do, you do have to put it in, in perspective. Um, so just, just, is there anything else you want to add to what you just said? Cause that was a, that was a big meaty point. Yeah. So, well, there's a lot of different skills and talent that are needed, obviously, to build out sophisticated tools like AI. Um, so on one hand, on one end of the spectrum, you'll have your, your data scientists, your AI experts, your model trainers, um, your machine learning experts, your, your, um, computer vision experts and all the rest and your programmers. Um, and then on the other hand, you need, you just need to feed and tag, um, the, the software or the applications with data, right? Um, so it makes sense to like, like any kind of, um, you know, organization or any kind of process, you're always looking to outsource the cheapest, um, labor for each part of the job, right? And because the annotation component can be done on mass and cheaply when you outsource to, to certain parts of the world, right? Where the cost of living is just cheaper, it means that you can actually really reduce your costs when you're doing something that requires such huge scale. The challenge with that is a lot of the time, the people that participate in this market are disadvantaged, right? Or vulnerable. Um, so they will work for next to nothing in conditions that are not necessarily ideal. So there have been some incidents where inadvertently, right? Or unwittingly organizations have, have set up these types of, um, these types of call centers or data labeling centers where the workers themselves were not treated very well because they sit so far behind the applications that we interact with. You wouldn't actually know that as a user. So if you think about it, it's very much like uh, manufacturing or fashion industry, right? A lot of big brands have been called out because of the conditions that they have um, let their workers work under. But it's a really difficult topic, Bernie. Honestly, it's such a difficult topic to 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 talk about because it's all we also need to be careful not to judge um by western standards right because 
$2 a day or $3 a day might sound like pittance to a London-based company and way below what we would expect to pay anyone. But then again, some of these people are coming from zero. So it's a really fine, tricky moral dilemma to get it right. And um, what is, like, as you've been, you know, immersed in this, like, I, it just, it just seems really, this, what's happening right now reminds me of the days when we first met, when Twitter had come out and Instagram didn't even exist. And, and there was this like social media week gold rush in London and everyone was going, oh, do you need a Facebook page? I'm going to cancel websites and just have a Facebook page. That's, and loads of other bad advice like that. And the only thing that survived was email, but, um, it feels it feels like that gold rush and the gold rush of the sharing economy and but uh, but even faster so like uh, just what's your feeling about the the pace of what is happening at the moment yeah well i think yeah it was a bit easy it's a bit negative isn't it i want to lighten it up a little bit so the way that we work here at connected women is we want to give women jobs that they can do from home um, so that's a big part of what we do, empowering women with flexible home-based work that they can do in between the other things that they need to do. Um, and we're, we actually launched together with UN Women. So we're very well vetted, um, from a women's empowerment perspective. And what we, you know, in terms of making sure that people are well looked after, it's pretty basic, really. We just make sure that, um, we pay them a decent wage. So Philippines minimum wage. Uh, we take their Metro Manila minimum wage and we pay them that regardless of where they are in the country. Um, and then we make sure that the type of projects and the type of work that we take on are not going to be detrimental to their mental health um, or their wellness. And then we teach them how to practice good practices like taking, you know, working decent amount of hours and taking breaks and all the rest. So it's not that complicated when you when you break it down. It, it is, it is really exciting. I mean, there are, there are negatives to it and everything, but, um, I think one thing I learned from that, um, because around that, basically like 10 years ago, there was like social media, there was podcasting, social media and sharing economy and co-working. So there's like four, I don't know, I, I like the words, par- in my little universe, there were four definite paradigm shifts. It was a real way to like find voice and, you know, that technology and I'm really dyslexic. So all these tools coming along, even Trello just like helped me just get a grip on, you know, how to interact with the world. Um, and it was life changing. And I think, um, that set up for what I'm doing now, uh, or, or how the, not what I'm doing now. So it makes it sound like I know what I'm doing, but okay. You know, appreciating the way that is going on with AI and, and what to look for. So I'm really, really grateful for that. What is, um, really exciting because although a lot of AI experts out there knew that this was going to be huge, I don't think anyone expected it to, to go mainstream so quickly, right? I mean, last year, um, or for the last few years, Meta and Zuckerberg have been talking about the metaverse and it was supposed to be the next big thing, right? And then all of a sudden, AI came out of the blue with ChatGPT. Um, being launched by OpenAI and it just went mainstream so quickly. Like everyone is using it, even here in the Philippines, like ChatGPT speaks such great Tagalog because so many Filipinos are using it and pumping it with data. Um, but I think it's really, really interesting. And I'm glad that you went back to that time long ago when we, when we met because it is a bit like that. Like, I mean, I don't want to, t- 
I don't really want to use um, big words that I don't understand, but um, it is like a paradigm shift, right? It's something that is changing the direction of, of how we do everything. And so it's exciting, but it's also scary for a lot of people, I think. So Gina, thank you very much for your time today. Where can we find you online and what's the best place to look for you and anything you want to draw our attention to? Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, not really on Twitter anymore <laughs> much. Um, but feel free to reach out, connect on LinkedIn. We share a lot of information about the impact that we do. So if you're interested in social impact and inclusive innovation, um, then do follow me ping me a message if you want to chat. Um, and if you want to find out more about Connected Women, you can check us out at connectedwomen.com. Thank you so much for having me, Bernie. We'll, we'll put links in the show notes to all of that. And thank you, Gina, because like I've always loved your zest and vigor for life and business. And you know, you're one of the people that has just genuinely made an impact in a very cool way in the world. So thank you very much. And you can go and blush now. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your earbuds today and whatever you're doing listening to us if you are go to the techlondon.io there is a slack channel full of creators and startups and independent economic agents it's been going since 2014 when jonathan accidentally started a slack channel and has grown into thousands of thousands of people in a london-centric help out people on their path to building something great be careful out there it is a jungle You've been listening to The Tech London Show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.